cannabis topics in less than 10 minutes. Let's go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. This week, we've got a very special guest, Lisa Buffo, CEO of the Cannabis Marketing Association. Lisa, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. It's great to speak with you. Love talking cannabis marketing on these yeah. shows. Let's kind of stay with the association and the summit. How, how did that origin come up? And when did you start realizing that the need for marketing and for helping other marketers in cannabis is, is one that needed to be sufficed? So when I first moved to Colorado, my first, I didn't know anybody. So my first job was trimming. I wanted to work in a grow, understand how it works. Like I really thought that in order to be successful in this space, you need to understand how any business works operationally. You need to go sort of like soup to nuts in that sense um, before you can be good at any one niche to some degree. Um, so I started trimming and then I joined a business accelerator helping manage the program. So it was a bunch of cannabis startups and I had done this. Uh, in a brief stint before, but helping manage their startups and getting them ready to launch and fundraise and go to market, which included at that point is pretty heavy marketing arm. I mean, when you're early stage, like napkin idea startup, it's just how quickly can you get traction? How well can you tell that story? So in those first six months in Colorado, I was doing that for about a dozen different startups. And I kind of was leaning into the marketing side of it as much as possible based on my more recent past experience with the dogs. And then once that cohort wrapped, I joined one of their portfolio companies as their CMO. And then for the next year plus was just, and they had funding, they were a tech startup, just kind of off to the races marketing. So I basically in short order was able to translate, well, thought I could translate my skills. And then I go into cannabis marketing thinking, okay, this is a playbook. I've done this. It's worked before. And I just kept hitting so many walls. Like, Lisa, for our listeners who are maybe unfamiliar about some of the marketing-related challenges here in cannabis, can you kind of list off some of the differences on what makes uh, cannabis a little harder to do marketing? Yeah. So first and foremost, it is still federally unlawful. So let's just establish that precedent. Despite where the stigma is and despite where the certain states are, at the federal level, it is still unlawful. So that creates kind of your first barrier. That means you can't do ads on Instagram, on Google, Things are starting to crack a little bit, but I'm not going to be too generous with that. Can't really do paid ads on major sites for the most part. And it's still censored to a degree pretty heavily on social media. So just even the pure creation of content is not protected as you might think. So federally unlawful, which means a lot of some folks won't work with you. Other folks, if they do, there's weeks, if not months of compliance and legal checks and legal fees. And can you say this? Can you say that? And because there isn't really much federal guidance at all really comes down to that state and local level. More people are risk averse than than not, especially when most of their business is coming from outside of the industry as far as publications and places to advertise. Second, because it is state to state, you can't just like come up with a national campaign and roll it out like you might, you know, your typical CPG product. You really have to do it on a state by state basis. And the regs differ. So the regs in Massachusetts are going to be different than Colorado. Some states allow you to show certain imagery, others do not. Some allow you to print merch, others do not. Some allow you to have billboards, others do not. Sometimes even the requirement as far as like basically 71 plus percent of the audience has to be over 21, that number even changes a little bit depending. So there's a whole compliance aspect most marketers aren't really familiar with because of the nature of cannabis. 
And then second, because of the federal status, there's a tax code um, 280E, which basically says if you're distributing unlawful substances, you're not a legitimate business. So therefore, you don't have legitimate business expenses. So from the IRS perspective, licensed cannabis businesses cannot write off their marketing and advertising costs. Newer consumers, when they walk into Spencer for the first time, is like, why did you choose that product? And a lot of times their responses are, I liked the packaging. So I'm asking Lisa, do you think packaging is the most important component in a dispensary for brands to kind of separate themselves? Or do you think it's a combination of effects and packaging is just kind of the central, the thought process when making that selection? It's always a combination. If it was as simple as one thing, I would not have a job. So it's definitely a combination. But if you think about packaging, it is like your kind of recency bias, like what's top of mind? Like if you're sitting there and you're looking at your options and you're evaluating a few, you might be more inclined towards the one that's more visually appealing. But you also go in knowing, hey, I know things about these brands. Like, you know, when I shop for any products, whether it's cannabis or outside, I'll go, oh, I've heard stories about that company. They're doing something great. Or like Tom Shoes, for example, right there, I need shoes. They're donating a pair to somebody. Um, that's going to make me consider it more, even if they're not like the cutest shoes on earth. So it's like, it's that combination of knowing who's the brand, what do they stand for and how have they communicated those values? Like, did you see a, this doesn't apply to Canada necessarily, but like, did you see a cool commercial on TV? And then did you read something in a magazine? And then did you see something on social media? And then you go and the packaging is nice. And the combination of those things is like, yep, that's the decision I'm going to make. So there's that old adage that in marketing, you need seven touch points. And like some people love and hate that number, but I agree it's more than one. True or false, uh, first mover advantage is crucial. Yes, true. If moved thoughtfully and correctly, but it is not, it doesn't necessarily guarantee staying power. And sometimes there's something to be said for being second and learning from the first mover who has to make all their mistakes publicly. So really depends on the use case and the resources, but there's pros and cons to both. The state you think is the most ridiculous with the rules and regulation for marketing? That's a good question. I wouldn't say... It's hard to say a state in particular. I will say I know when Massachusetts came out with their regs at the time in 2016, they were quite restrictive because they were like, you can't really have the green cross or green leaf. You couldn't have merch. And at the time, that was not something that had been instituted in the states out West, like California and Colorado. But a lot of states have changed and loosened over time based on community feedback and just how things rolled out. So I think a lot of states kind of start strict and for some... uh, we'll just call it simplicity's sake, but it's just kind of how they start. And then they learn as they go. So a lot of it just isn't fixed. But I think there are some rules that are more onerous than others and have more red tape than they actually have like desired impact for what the government was shooting for. Outside industry company, you think more cannabis companies should replicate marketing-wise? I think more folks should find their company spirit animal and emulate them and understand why. What is an area about marketing and cannabis industry that would surprise or shock others not in the industry to know? When I have the 280E conversation with people, they're pretty shocked. They don't understand the banking aspects. I think they, in their minds, think, oh yeah, they operate in cash, but everything else is the same. And it's like, no, it's not. Taxes are hard on a good day, let alone when you can't write off certain expenses and you have to do all this, jump through all these hoops in order to be compliant when you're not treated the same as other service providers. I mean, I know for us, it it took us 
almost a year to get a bank account to find someone who would take us. And I had to, you know, like I had to make my case to the VP um, of the bank. And uh, when you work with other service providers, whether it's payment processing or insurance, everyone deems you high risk. So you pay this, like what what I kind of call a phantom tax on top of it. They're like, oh, you're high risk. It's going to be X percent more. And so you don't get to like negotiate when you say, I only have one option of one vendor who's going to take me and I have to pay whatever they're going to charge because no one else is going to work with us. So it isn't like there are those things that like you can have the strategy, right? But if you only have so many people you can work with, it really changes the execution. And that part is hard. When you got started in your journey in the cannabis space, what did you get right? And most importantly, what did you get wrong? Getting started early, learning on someone else's dime. Like if you can get a job and work and learn um, and dedicate yourself to it, that's a really good first step before just jumping in. And then something I got wrong, I will say something I have learned to balance. And so in some cases, I've got this really wrong. In other cases, I've got this right, is the combination of trusting my gut and my mind. What is the number one marketing aspect cannabis brands or companies are not taking advantage of today? It's hard to say number one. But I would say thinking about the customer journey as a circle. So like I mentioned, the, the flywheel, that the customer journey doesn't stop once they've purchased. It almost begins once they've purchased because you want them to come back. So Lisa, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to visit the Cannabis Marketing Association and be a part of the summit. Where can they find you? So the CannabisMarketingAssociation.com, our Cannabis Marketing Summit is June 21 through 23 in Denver, Colorado. And you can find us on social media at Cannabis Marketing. I'm on social media as well at LeeBuff, L-I-B-U-F-F. And I think I'm at LeeBuff21 on Twitter. We'll link it all up in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time. This and LinkedIn. Fun. Yeah, we'll link it all up. And if you me. find me on LinkedIn, just mention, uh, hey, I listened to you on the podcast because I get a lot of random requests. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.